Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. All right. Happy Election Day 2020, everyone. We're here for those of you that follow politics, and I'm, I'm sure you probably have to be living under a rock uh, to not know there's an election going on today. Hope everybody gets out and votes. I don't care who you vote for. I will tell you why I think voting is important, because if you vote, uh, you know, you have a right to complain and, and protest and, and be upset when you know, your things don't go your way, <laughs> uh, in my opinion. I think sometimes people that don't vote, you know, that's the kind of the way you fix it, you know, in this country. You know, we don't uh, – you can always peacefully protest things and all that good stuff, but if, you, if you're not voting, you know, then, then you're really not solving any of the problems that you perceive to be happening uh, in our country, regardless of what side you're on uh, and which way – you uh, feel like you should solve those problems. How about that? And so that's uh, my little spiel there. This is J.C. Sherbert. This is the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Uh, again, hope everybody gets out and uh, exercises their constitutional right as an American citizen uh, to vote for the candidates and the policies. Uh, there are some policies on the ballot around the country uh, of your choice. Um, so that's uh, that's my spiel on that, and I uh, won't be talking about anything else <laughs> politically uh, today. I'll just uh, my message to you is to just go vote. You know, find a way to do it, um, get it done, and feel good about yourself for doing it. And watch the returns come in tonight. South Carolina is back in game week mode. Will Muschamp's press conference is later today. Um, he'll be talking about the Texas A&M game. Gamecocks are actually off today because of Election Day. They've been working Sunday and Monday, uh, then today will be a day off and the pick back up Wednesday. Uh, Gamecocks are seven and a half to eight point underdogs against the Aggies. The Aggies are in the top 10. Um, big opportunity for South Carolina to get up off the, the mat. Uh, and in this crazy year of 2020, uh, get a win. You know, and, and I think at the beginning of the year, Will Muschamp said something and, and I was just like, I, I wasn't quite buying it, you know. Because uh, he 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 likes the and loves the National Football League, uh, references it often, and says it's going to be kind of like the NFL, where week to week these games are going to go down to the wire, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And you, but you kind of see that, and I talked about that a little bit yesterday about you know the results around the Southeastern Conference are, are way different, and boy, you can have a team rise up on you uh, quickly and beat beat you down to the ground. You can have a team upset you. You can have an ugly game out of nowhere. Uh, it's really a different type of year uh, in terms of uh, in terms of everything, and, and that's why we see teams like Coastal Carolina in the top twenty-five. Um, Coastal probably would be lingering right in that twenty to twenty-five range right now at best, and uh, they're up in the in the top fifteen. And congratulations to them. I mean, they've had a really good year, uh, beating some good teams on their level. Beat Kansas earlier this season. Um, I'm not sure. I know that everybody, you know, there's a there's a group of you out there that, you know, nothing is right with the Gamecocks right now, which isn't true, and I'm going to get into that in a second. But, you know, there is a group that says Coastal would have beat South Carolina. And, and you know what? I can't, I can't tell you they wouldn't have. They're a good team. And, 
you know, as a season opener like that, you, you never know. But my feeling is South Carolina would have beaten them. You know, I, I just think that there's there's a big difference between what South Carolina can do <clears throat> and what a Kansas can do. Uh, but you never know. You never know. And all of you folks out there that are also Coastal fans, that's not an insult to Jamie Chadwell or your football team. I, I think they've done a hell of a job this season. I think they're a hell of a team. And I think he runs a really good offense too. <clears throat> but, um, you know, things are not that bad at South Carolina. Um, the LSU game was bad. You know, losing to Tennessee was frustrating. Losing to Florida, I think, was expected. I understand people were frustrated by the the last drive of the game. Um, beating Auburn was obviously big. Winning at Vanderbilt the way they did to get up off the mat was was big. Um, and so now we're in the second half of the season, and, and there is a second half yet to play. And I'll tell you this, um, kind of a little personal story here. A few years back, you know, I, I was kind of going through a hard time. It's probably about a two, three-month hard time period. You know, sometimes – you know, folks get depressed and they get in a rut or whatever. Uh, just basically wasn't, wasn't leaving my apartment and just basically going to work. Uh, I lived in Nashville at the time. It snowed for a week, so I was snowed in like The Shining. Uh, I was just down at the dump, so I was talking to my mom, and she's like, look, you know, I'm going to tell you like a, a coach would have told you. You know, you need to get out of the locker room and go play the second half, you know, because you're, you're 36 years old. And, yeah, it's halftime, but you need to get up and go play the second half. And I, and I think that's applicable in life, and I think that's applicable to this football team. They need to go play the second half. Uh, and, and everybody involved <clears throat> needs to understand that, that there is a second half yet to be played. Uh, and I understand people are frustrated with Muschamp and frustrated with the current regime, and they won't change right now. Um, and, and I'm going to tell you, depending on how the second half goes, it wouldn't surprise me to see change coming. I'm not taking that off the table at all. But I think that, you know, this team this year still has a second half to play. And, and I think that if certain things happen, um, you know, and we don't see a repeat of the defensive debacle the other night, and we, uh, you know, we, we see Colin Hill's internal clock not revert to what it was a little bit against Auburn and then a lot against LSU, and um, we see a receiver or two step up, and I hate that Kevion Mullins is hurt and likely out this week. Um, you know, I could, I could see it. You know, I, I could see the Gamecocks, you know, having a successful second half of the year, which would mean going three and two, getting to 500, getting to a bowl game. I, I don't know that they won't get to a bowl at four and six. Four and six is kind of that gray area record. It was kind of like five and seven last year where I was like, you know, how unacceptable would a five and seven season be for South Carolina? And, and I think it would have been unacceptable, but, you know, losing to App State down the stretch just increased the misery index for the Gamecocks, which is, you know, that, that's why, you know, we talk about opportunities. And, and it's funny because there are still opportunities uh, left you know, starting this Saturday for, for, for this coaching staff and this program to kick in the door. But we talk about opportunities. You know, one thing we probably don't talk about enough <laughs> is uh, the opportunity for the ten the Tennessee game this year. You know, that was an opportunity against a team South Carolina doesn't really like. 
a team that program that recruits against them, a program they need to beat every single year in a division rival. Uh, and you go and lose it. And lo and behold, the Vols aren't the resurgent group. Maybe we thought they were, you know, or could have been. Uh, I thought Tennessee was very impressive uh, in terms of playing with confidence against the Gamecocks. I don't think they executed quite well, uh, all that well, especially on offense, but they were confident. They made plays when they had to. I thought they were very impressive against Missouri in the first half against Georgia, and then, boom, the bottom fell out. And it can, comes at you quick with this all-league schedule. It comes at you quick. And they haven't been right since. So if you're the Gamecocks, you're hoping, I guess, you don't fall into that trap. Because they go to, you know, they we're sitting here in a couple of weeks and they're two and five. Uh, then it's going to get a lot uglier and a lot more negative. And, and you know, you're going to see some stuff, uh, some big time, um, some people uh, exercising their constitutional right uh, to object to the Will Muschamp era, to use a, an election day sort of, um, I guess, talk. And look, I'm going to say this. I've talked to a lot of people around the university, you know, sources, contacts, people that care behind the scenes, you know, and I, I, people, Ray Tanner's not just sitting there like the dog and the meme, you know, when the house is on fire and saying this is fine and drinking coffee. But, but I'll tell you this, Ray Tanner doesn't need to come out uh, when they're sitting there with a two and three record midway point through the season with an all SEC schedule and five games left to play and release any sort of statement at all, you know, because what are you going to say? You can say, well, me, you know, rest assured, we're going to try to, I mean, you know, it hadn't been a one and four, oh, and five, you know, what are you going to do? You can blame the pandemic. Do, do people really want to hear that? That Ray Tanner's can say, well, it's a pandemic year. Everybody red shirts. So it's a lost year. Anyway, who cares now? Not that he would, but, but, you know, there's all kinds of different scenarios for an athletic director speaking up at this point. None of them are good. You know, you don't want to give the dreaded vote of confidence. You know, you don't want to sit there and act like you're going to make a coaching change because you got five more games left to play. And, and, and you sure as heck don't want to blame the pandemic right now because <laughs> that's really not – I mean, it, it's impacted Carolina. But it's impacted some other schools a lot, a lot worse. So – you know, uh, I think that that's my message to you is that, you know, please don't think that behind the scenes people aren't aware that people are uh, – that you guys, a, a lot of you guys are unhappy. A lot of you guys think that the LSU game was unacceptable, uh, which I think everybody affiliated with the Gamecock football program agrees with. Um, you know, and, and they got to rally and somehow find a way to, to get some wins. You know, if you're sitting there at four and three in a couple of weeks, that's a different different, different ball game. Four and three with Missouri coming to town, great. Better not lose to Missouri, but you take four and three. Um, addressing the Colin Hill rumors from yesterday, it, it uh, the Luke Doty starting rumors, uh, they've been shot down pretty much universally. <laughs> uh, and unless it's just like they're hiding something and it's a big surprise, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I haven't heard anything about Colin Hill being hurt or having a COVID issue or anything like that. Now, Will Muschamp does have a press conference later today. Maybe he'll be asked about it. Um, maybe he won't. Uh, but uh, everything I've heard, Hill's still the guy. 
Uh, and, I, and I'll say this, a lot of people are getting on Colin Hill because he didn't have a good game against LSU. Well, a lot of quarterbacks don't have good games every now and then. I mean, you know, and the key is, is to not, you know, make this a consistent thing. You know, I think that, you know, I've noticed the last two games, there's something off with his internal clock a little bit, whether whether he's just waiting for guys to get open, trying to do too. Sometimes quarterbacks try to do too much. You just need to throw it away, um, trying to go make a play, that kind of thing. But, you know, people that are like anti-Hill that want Holinsky to play or Doty to play, those are people – and there's a lot of you out there, and it's fine. I'm, I'm not calling you out or anything because it's, it's a matter of opinion. But people that are saying that are like, you know, in my opinion, they're a, they're they're they don't like the style of offense. It's not so much that they don't like Hill. You know, they don't like short passes, run game. You know, no tempo, that type of thing, and and that's fine because you know, and I don't necessarily think it's a Mike Bobo thing right now uh, because you look at Mike Bobo, he he can run tempo. He does throw it down the field. There's there's. A, there's ten, you know times he's done that during his career. It's just right now with as limited as they are at wide receiver, guys aren't getting open. Uh, you know, you have to to kind of smoke and mirrors it for lack of a better term, and getting the right run play and all that. And look, that stuff's worked. I mean, look at Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick. I mean, the offensive line's doing well. You got uh, you know they're actually able to get the ball to Shy Smith. Uh, even though people know that's the that's the one guy, you know, I think they got to continue to get the tight ends involved. I hate it that Mullins is hurt, but uh, that's just kind of the way things go around here sometimes. But it's it's more the style, and, and I understand that. You know, if you just say, "Hey, look, what's your ideal style of play?" It's probably not that, and I think my Bobo would say the same thing. But that's how South Carolina is going to win, and quite frankly with the way the defense is playing, they need to stay on the field on offense. You know, the defense is, you know, I don't think that the defense we all saw against LSU is, is, you know, anything more than a bad performance. But we have five games worth of uh, material here that says this defense is susceptible to giving up big plays at inopportune times. So I think the, the way you, you know, fix that besides you know fixing your defense and we've gone over all the things that I think need to happen personnel wise and all that and we'll see if any of that happens uh, I think the way you fix it is you know you, you stay on the field offensively and so I think South Carolina has to do that for more reasons than just you know whatever now look uh, let's say and look I Jalen Brooks had a tough outing the first uh his, his first SEC football game against LSU. Uh, and, uh, wow, Red just kind of went crazy there. I had to pause it there because somebody's walking their dog. <laughs> Outside, Red went a little crazy, but that happens. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that that's the, that's the deal there. You're going to have to stay on the field. Colin Hill does more than just throw the ball. You know, he gets Carolina in the right play, reads the defense. That's worked. That part's worked. The play calling's been good. And they're not just out there calling it and hauling it either. They're, you know, checking at the line of scrimmage. Eric Douglas does a good job with the protection and the run blocking calls. You know, that part of it's good. And when you have that, 
you know, then you can really take advantage of, of Bobo's play call and you can call a good play. If you're just out there not knowing what you're doing and you're not making the right reads and you're not doing that, then that could be a disaster. And then this offense all of a sudden gets very pedestrian because people know what's coming. And I don't think a lot of defenses like have absolutely known what's coming this time. And it's good. So it's a little hard to scheme up if you notice. So, so we'll see what happens. Like, look, I'll say this, and I'll admit this to the folks that want to see another quarterback. Uh, and I don't know that it'll be Ryan Holinsky. If it is, maybe, maybe not. Um, I'll say this, they get to two and five, the internal clock issues don't, you know, continue to rear their ugly head. Um, maybe you go with Luke Doty or Holinsky if, if he's ready to roll to try to get a spark because you're two and five. And at that point, it's 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 uh, it's just not pretty. I mean, you know, at that point, you you it's just kind of like the hell got to you, you got to do something, crowd, uh, at all at all that. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, you would be at DefCon one at that point if um, if uh, you're two and five, and when you're at DefCon one, you do something different. Um, I, I don't think Carolina's even there yet. I think they're probably DEFCON 3 at this point. If they were 1-4, and four, I'd say DEFCON 2. But they're 2-3, and three, folks. They did beat Auburn. They, they, they kind of got that Tennessee game back. Uh, I, I think that Tennessee game, again, <clears throat> that was another opportunity that was lost. And I agree about the, you know, continued, you know, losses in situations where you could have a breakthrough. That's got to change. And I think everybody knows it, but they got the opportunity to do it, got the opportunity to do it moving forward. So I think that's something to really consider. Cape Cod basketball schedule still being finalized. Uh, For those of you that aren't on the site, Carolina had a game with Ryder scheduled out of New Jersey. And the state of New Jersey requires anyone that visits South Carolina to automatically quarantine for 14 days when they get back. So that wasn't going to happen. And so they couldn't get it done. Um, looking for another opponent. I know Wofford's on the schedule. You know, there's enough uh, D1 ba- – it seems like there's enough D1 basketball programs around the state to really kind of fill it out if everybody was willing to play uh, for everybody. But um, uh, it should be sort of a, an interesting thing. I, I saw Jeff Goodman – I think it was Goodman – or one of those guys tweet out that you know he was getting off-the-record text for basketball coaches saying, you know, this is an awful – awful mess trying to get schedules uh, here on November 3rd. So that's, uh, that's gotta be tough. Um, but I'm excited about basketball season. I really am. I think uh, Carolina should be good this year. I think that some of the things uh, that have happened over the past two years probably will give them an opportunity, uh, you know, to, to kind of be more resilient in those situations when some of those schools come in. So we'll see how that all goes down. Uh you know, I, I look around the recruiting trail, you know, uh, and South Carolina did lose uh, TID, the notorious TID, uh, to Georgia, which, you know, those those games – okay, so, so the, those losses, right, when you lose an in-state guy to a division rival that you want, and this has happened twice, this is Justice Boone and, and this is now Tyrion Egram Dawkins – uh, that's bad. You know, I, I don't I don't really get all 
you know, fired up or negative if they lose an out-of-state kid that they were in on that wants to stay in-state or wants to go to a name program. But, you know, you're looking at it and, you know, the in-state crowd this year has really – and, look, it was going to hurt. It was going to – and you know, you, you kind of felt like last year uh, getting Jordan Birch, um, which was great, you know, holding on to those guys in-state. You really felt like, well, you know, they're kind of – you know, they're, they're staying with it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, they're continuing to defend the state. Well, <laughs> if you look at it this year, you know, you, you've got uh, Ingram Dawkins going to Georgia. Justice Boone's going to Florida. You know, uh, the third-ranked player in the state is from Gaffney, Kobe Passor. He's going to North Carolina, but he's a transfer from North Carolina coming in. Uh, I don't know why in the composite Josh Burrell is going to Florida State's number four from Blythewood, but he is. So he's going to FSU. J.J. Jones is going to North Carolina. Amari Higgins-Bruce from Dillon going to Louisville. He did not have a Carolina offer. Robbie Oots, who I for me, to me, Oots should be third. He's going to Alabama. And then you get into T.J. Sanders and Omega Blake for the Gamecocks. And so that's – dude, that's tough. I mean, now Carolina didn't want a lot, a lot of these guys. They didn't offer – Pay sore to my knowledge, or didn't recruit him that hard once he committed. Didn't offer Burrell, offered Jones sort of late, still lost him. Um, you know, did offer Oots, did offer Boone, did offer Ekram Dawkins. So, you know, when that's not happening, that's a red flag. And and, and look, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this for those of you that can consistently gripe and complain about the recruiting team ranking and act like, you know, oh my God. If they're not in the top 25, they'll never win and all this other stuff. That's the wrong way to look at it. But you want something to complain about? It's when the in-state kids start going elsewhere. Because that hasn't happened consistently. Consistently now. And, and you know, so it's got to – you really got to look at it over the course of the next couple of cycles to see if this is a trend or an aberration. When they consistently start going out of state, that that hasn't happened in like 22 years. You know, South Carolina and Clemson both used to have issues losing guys to other programs in surrounding states. But, you know, there's a Channing Tindall here and an A.J. Green there and a Robert Quinn here and Sam Montgomery there. But by and large, you know, South Carolina and Clemson both have shut down the borders. Now, Clemson's recruiting nationally now. So so they're not necessarily even going – it's South Carolina or out of state. South Carolina – uh, you know, under Muschamp's done a fantastic job keeping the in-state guys in state, but you know now that that's a that's a dam that's got a that's that's a leak in the dam. I talked about the leak in the dam. You got to keep plugging it. That's a leak in the dam. You know, uh, you, you're talking about last year uh, in the state, just the last cycle. South Carolina got number one, number two, didn't offer number three. He went to Tennessee. They got number four. They got number five, didn't offer number six. It's the quarterback that went to East Carolina. Um, they got number seven, didn't offer number eight. They, they got number nine. They got number 10. So everybody they offered, and then number 11, everybody Carolina offered in the state for the class of 2021, they got. And you could probably make a, like a, I could have made a, a big time, um, a big time argument for some other guys they probably should have taken <laughs> out of the state. 
Um, but that's neither here nor there. So, you know, this was just last cycle. So now all of a sudden, you know, of the guys they've offered in state, um, and you got to count Jones, even though he was a late offer. And I don't know how much at the end of the day, they were really like missing him, but you know, they offered number one, Georgia, they offered number two, he's going to Florida. Number three is going to North Carolina. Number four is a move in. Uh, number five is going to South Carolina. Number six is going to South Carolina. Number seven, you offered him. He's going to Alabama. They did not offer eight. Nine is a placement. Did not offer ten. And this is this is these are twenty four seven rankings. They're Charles Powers rankings, so I trust them. Uh, and then the others did not get an offer. I think Chance Black out of Dorman, who's going to Virginia Tech, had an offer to come to camp. But you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, it's it. You know, you kind of look at it, and you're like, "Wow, you know, what's what what's uh, what's going on here?" So that's that that's that's my recruiting talk now. And uh, I forgot, and I say all that to say this: South Carolina did make a good offer, um, from Georgia military Byron Young, outside linebacker. He uh, he's a player that went to Carver's Bay. We all remember. We all know Carver's Bay. Uh, the Gathers boys all went there. Uh, very low bust rate out of Carver's Bay. Uh, and looking at him on film, Byron Young's a heck of a player. Auburn's offered him. Georgia's offered him. Florida State's offered him. LSU's offered him. So uh, he's got uh, he's got some skills. Uh, and the Gamecocks came in and offered him uh, part of the flurry of offers recently. FSU on the 28th of October along with Georgia. LSU on the 29th. Mississippi State, November 2nd, and the Gamecocks followed up this morning, according to his Twitter account, uh, with an offer. This guy's a good player. I I think they could use him. Uh, And so hopefully he wants to come home. We will see. (laughs) We will see. But these are the types of guys you've got to get, um, for sure, along with the in-state talent. All right. So enough of all that, all that recruiting talk and, you know, me trying to talk people off the ledge. And, you know, again, like my mom said, let's play the second half. So at least get a couple of games in, you know, because some of this stuff. And, and look, I, I understand message boards and social media. Social media is more about just mean, griping, complaints, stupidity, uh, idiots uh, in, in small bites. Uh, that's one thing, you know. Message boards are more for reckless speculation and complaining. Um, so I'm not really getting on either one too much. You know, I, the, the social media thing isn't even a game kind of thing. It's more of just a life thing. Um, on the message boards, you know, the, the, I, I get though there's going to be speculation and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, there are about eight to ten guys, though, that have always hated Muschamp. Uh, that never want to give him any credit for anything, that just every single thread, it could be about it could be about the San Diego Padres and people would find a reason to relate it to why Will Muschamp should not be the coach of South Carolina. I appreciate your passion, but come on. <laughs> come on, man. All right, so there's two ways to get into the mailbag. At the Big Spur Pod, you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. You can also email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Uh, and we have several today, and I always try to get to all of them. Uh, this first one comes in to Mitch from Mitch, 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 Mitchell. He says, JC, I'm not a gambler, 
but with limited fans in the stands this year, it seems, still seems like home field advantage is a big deal and outcome of games. What do you think? I've noticed that. Uh, and I think, I think too, you know, when you talk about home field advantage, it's, it is the crowd noise and the atmosphere and, and you can, as a player, you know, you can feel that momentum shifting. Right. And, um, so, so, so that, that part is missing, but there's also the travel, you know, kind of gets you out of your routine. You don't sleep in your own bed. You know, you got, uh, um, you know, you're eating out of a bag, you know, that they have to cater on with COVID. You have to do all kinds of different things. Um, it's, it's different than it was, uh, in terms of, um, you know, like the players that they also, they, they used to all go see a movie, you know, go to the movies Friday night or whatever, but you can't do that anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, and, 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 you know, the players do sleep at a hotel before home, home games too, uh, for the most part. Or they used to. I don't know quite if they do that anymore or not. But you know, so so it's not it's not that much different. I, I think there is something to be said though for the travel because you know, look, man, I, I used to travel a lot, you know, for work and stuff, and it takes something out of you. I mean, it does. Even even you know, if I'm in really good shape, even you know, for something about getting on that plane, it's flying. Maybe it's the air. I don't know. Landing, getting your bag. You know, it's still kind of a, it it takes something out of you. So I, I think that's probably it, but yeah, home field is, is surprisingly, you know, accurate this year, except, you know, Vandy, which Vandy's not letting any fans in. So that's, that's, they're the only school that's not right now. And so that's the deal there. But I, I, I think traveling has something to do with it. And I think traveling always throws a team off a little bit that in the crowd. Uh, and you did mention some of those examples, sleeping in your own bed, keeping your routines, a secret sauce, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I think it's to Carolina's advantage that they are not going to College Station and they're playing in Columbia uh, this weekend. I really do. Um, I think that's a long trip. Uh, I think A&M, with, with sort of how their stadium set up, they are – they. I think in Texas they're letting about 20 to 25 in. And that could get in a hundred thousand seat state. That could get loud. Um, watching them against Arkansas, their crowd was into it, et cetera. And I'll tell you this, and kudos to Gamecocks out there, because what crowd has been there the first what two home games of the season um, has been quite impressive. You know, it's loud when you watch it on TV. Uh, not eighty thousand, but you guys. You know, the go yelling your butt off. So I think uh, I think there's something to be said for that, and maybe that energizes the guys on Saturday night. I think they need a boost. Um, oh, the Ole Miss game, I forgot to mention this, is uh, slated for a six, seven, 7.30 kickoff on SEC Network. And I misspoke yesterday. Uh, the A&M game Saturday night, 7 o'clock on ESPN, they changed it on me. Uh, and so, so they're on they're you know, they're on ESPN, Game Packs are on ESPN, and then Arkansas and Tennessee are on SEC Network at 7.30. But uh, the Ole Miss game is a night game on the road, and I was trying to think yesterday, I was talking to some of my buddies about the last road win at night Carolina's had. I came up with Missouri in 2017, 
And I, before that, if I'm not mistaken, and I may be, but I, maybe I'm not, it was the first game of the Muschamp era at Vanderbilt on that Thursday night uh, in 2016. So it's been a while, folks. <laughs> it's a, Carolina's won a, a road game at night. So take that for what it's worth. But the Ole Miss game scheduled, road game at night. So there's an opportunity to get – you know, to, to do something different, but that's, uh, that's a little piece of info there. Thanks Mitch, uh, for your email there. I certainly appreciate it. Hudson mailbag therapy is the name of this email. What's up JC. Hope you're doing well this morning. I just wanted to ask a quick question about the Gamecocks. We've always heard that must champion company are great recruiters and experts when it comes to looking beyond star ratings to find talent that can be developed. I agree. Um, I think they're good at it. I, you know, I think that every staff is going to miss, even if they – I mean, I look at some of these situations across the country, like at Florida State and Tennessee, to a certain extent before Jeremy Pruitt got there at the end of Butch Jones and, you know, Florida at times over the years when they struggled and – you know, Michigan and, and, and you know, some of these schools that, you know, recruit AKA and I mean, IE in the top 10 all the time that aren't very good. Um, you know, so, so, so it's not always about that. You got to find the right guys. And I think no matter, I think, I think the way it's work, it works out too, is that you, you kind of have tiers, you know, with, with how rankings are done these days. Right. And so uh, I think there's one tier at the top. And, and it's kind of Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. And Alabama's really like at the top of that tier in terms of how they recruit every year successfully and all that. I mean, you know, look at, you know, Clemson, as talented as they are and as well as they recruit, you know, they lose a very special quarterback and they're struggling with Boston College and, and they're three-star city. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's – it's uh it's not all about the star ratings, you know, from week – when you're talking about week to week and actually winning football games, more goes into it than that. But I, I think Muschamp and company have done a good job. Uh, you look at some of the guys they put in the NFL, I think they're very good at developing individual talent. Uh, it's it's a team issue. I mean, it's 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 how the team performs. It's not a individual talent issue because there's guys that – I mean, I'll use Keyshawn Nixon as an example, you know. He's a guy that, you know, a lot of schools wanted. Georgia wanted him. Mississippi State really wanted him. I think Tennessee tried to come in and get him out of JUCO. Um, came to the SEC. Didn't even play his first year. Started the whole – his whole second year. Was really kind of quiet. Maybe that was more of a J.C. Horn thing. You know, maybe he did a good job in coverage. Didn't get drafted. All of a sudden, he's with the Raiders, and they love him because he's ready to roll. Chris Lamont was ready to roll. Rashad Fenton was ready to roll. Dennis Daly, ready to roll as a starter for the Panthers his first year. Taylor Stallworth, who it's been brought to my attention, was not a starter for the Saints his rookie year, but played a lot on a playoff team. You know, these individual guys, I mean, you know, you can't tell me that player development in its purest form in terms of the individual players is lacking at South Carolina because they're going to the next level and doing it. It's a team issue. I still can't put my finger on. I've been pleased. Uh, Hudson goes on. 
I've been very pleased with the recruiting Muschamp has done. Even though the stats changes and hot seats talks, he has managed to stay in the top 25 on all recruiting platforms, not counting this incoming class. But we can all agree that COVID makes it tough. It does. But I can't explain why, even though the staff has consistently recruited well, we're still depleted at many positions, with the obvious being interior defensive lineman and wide receiver, and probably throw the linebackers in that slot too. I don't, I don't know that they're depleted. It, it, you know, the, the interior defensive line thing's a little weird because, and, and I'll tell you why, because, the, you know, Jaquez Sorrells, Josh Belt, Jakeen Green, you're counting on those guys. And it's not like they got to Carolina and were busts, and so you misevaluated them. Now, there is part of the evaluation process that has to do with academics and off-the-field stuff. But you're, you're not going to not take Josh Belt, in-state kid, extremely talented when he wants to be big kind of guy you don't have. Um, you know, you're not going to not take Jaquez Sorrells and you're not going to not take Jakeem Green. Those were just academic situations that it didn't break the Gamecocks way and it happens, you know, and it just so happened to happen three guys at the same spot. Um, I think, I think what you're looking at interiorly is, is, is Rick Sandage has not come on as expected. Uh, he's a, in his third year, he should be much better than he is. And I think that's, that's on him. Um, and they need Zach Pickens to, to play more snaps than maybe some of the other guys. So that, that's one thing receiver. And if you go by the star ratings, you know, you had a lot of guys that were high threes, low fours in, in the receivers that came in. Um, I think Brian McClendon misevaluated a lot of guys. Uh, and I think he did not put a premium on speed. Uh, this is my theory on this, not not kind of my uh, – it's not a fact. It's an opinion. Sometimes receiver coaches fall in love with the the type of receiver that they that was one of their best. And I think the Debo Samuel body type, people have to understand that is rare. The Debo Samuel body type, those are, those are usually linebackers and uh, and running backs and safeties. You know, you don't find those guys at receiver. Uh, maybe a guy is that big and plays receiver, but usually, you know, they, they kind of end up being like Jaheim Bell and they play a hybrid role uh, or, you know, they end up at running back. They're not as fast as Debo. And Debo may not be like a 4-3 on the gun, but he's a 4-4 and huge. And I think he proved that with the San Francisco 49ers last year, what kind of a dynamic player he really is. So he's the exception, not the rule. You know, and, and and I think that, for, quite frankly, Steve Spurrier Jr. was in that mode after Sidney Rice and then Alshon Jeffrey. Think about a lot of the taller guys he got that couldn't play dead in a movie. And I think that hurts receiver coaches. I think the guys that do it best, and I, I haven't dug into how Joe Cox does it, you know, they recruit like different types. They're like, okay, my, my ex-receiver is going to be, you know, 6'2 or bigger, going to be an outside guy, going to be able to jump athletic can make plays on the perimeter you know my other guy uh, in the slots got to run at least a 4-4 and then I'll have a third guy that's kind of like you know for lack of a better comparison like an Amari Rogers type of guy uh, at Clemson and then other than that I'm going to I'm going to dot my roster with various types of guys to where you can do anything depending on what you want to call anything you know I also think you know, there's something to be said for speed over size at this position still. Uh, I think that, you know, South Carolina 
If they had three shy Smiths, who cares how big they are at receiver? Now, hopefully they can block. But, you know, I, I think that's the deal. And, and I think that a lot of what BMAC did was look at size. And it wasn't even like crazy size, like going after the big six five guys, I think. You know, these six two guys that, that just aren't very fast. On top of that, in fairness to him, you know, when you look at overall injuries – you know, from 2016 till now, there's been no position hit like the receiving core. Um, I think linebackers are fine. I think it's unfortunate Sherrod Green got hurt this year that Rosendo Lewis continues to be hurt. Um, I know Brad Johnson's not playing well right now, but as a recruit, I mean, you don't turn him down. Uh, you know, I, I think Jamar Brown being back is huge. And, you know, frankly, maybe I'd move R.J. Roderick over there to the will. Uh, I, I think that when you only play two linebackers most of the time, you know, your numbers are never going to be huge over there. But uh, and, and, look, you can't argue with Ernest Jones. Uh, so I, I agree with you. you know, and and there, the, those, those three spots, you know, you can circle. And they're, they're all kind of different explanations. I think, you know, interior D-line, it was just, you know, <laughs> you hit those guys. Uh, receiver was just mismanagement and misevaluations out the yang, um, and then uh, and then linebackers. You know, I think that's a little injury situation as well. Hudson, thank you for your question. Noah, frequent emailer to the Big Spur podcast. Well, the sorry, the Inside the Gamecocks podcast at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter or Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Noah says, I think Colin Hill is the best quarterback the Gamecocks have right now. I'm rooting for Colin Hill to succeed, but if the offensive line can't protect the quarterback, it might be time to make a change. I think they're protecting the quarterback. I think against LSU, some of that was, you know, there were like two that were totally on Colin Hill. He needs to get rid of the ball. And then there were two on uh, receivers running the wrong routes. Make no mistake about it. It's easy to blame the line for everything. But there are other things that lead to sacks, and I think the offensive line's run blocking so well. You know, it's hard to kind of argue with 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 kind of how they're playing overall. I think the coaches should at least consider playing Doty. I'd play him some. I put some packages in for him. They, they did that the other day for a play against LSU. I'd do it more. While I'd much rather see Colin Hill play out the full season, I think an immobile quarterback with a struggling O line in the SEC is a bad setup. Well, again, I don't think the offensive line's struggling. Uh, I think Colin Hill's internal clock and the receivers caused four of those sacks the other night. Um, And then you're never going to be sack free. (laughs) All right. But you're, but I I will say, no, I agree with what you're saying. And a mobile quarterback with a struggling O line in the SEC is a bad setup. And it is. Um, You can go back to 2006 when Blake Mitchell was just getting hit every play. Uh, It seemed like every year early under Spurrier, they'd have to figure out the O line. Um, and the O-line was struggling. They put in Savelle, and then things changed. And then, you know, the line got better, and they went back to Blake, and he played pretty well down the stretch. But uh, I agree with you there. I mean, I, I think it's a bad setup. I just don't think the offensive line's struggling. Doty could play in a run-heavy system with design running back, quarterback run screens and RPOs. Agreed. Uh, this would play to the offense's bigger strength, Kevin Harris, while giving Doty experience. Like I said, I'm rooting for Hill all the way. But realistically, I don't think he's the best option, even though he's the best player right now. Well, if you don't think the offensive line is doing well, then obviously, you know, you're going to think that. But 
I don't, I don't think for a minute that this offensive line is struggling. I've seen struggling offensive lines, man. And believe me, this offensive line was struggling. Carolina's not moving the ball at all. They're not running the ball. There's Sac City. There's strips and scores. I mean, it, 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 it's I've seen bad offensive. It's a disaster. Um, could a Doty led offense work this year? Now, now you know. So what you got to see is you know Kevin Harris is playing well, but it's not just Kevin Harris individually. They're getting him in the right play. So do you sacrifice that? I don't know. Could a Doty led offense work this year? I, I you know maybe if if they get to it. Uh, and do you think it'd be more effective than what Carolina has now? Sorry, that was lengthy. I, you know, no, I, I like not right now. I mean, I, I think, you know, and and, and you, this is not something that you could completely like say, oh no, it would never work because obviously it's a different style of offense with Luke Doty, like you mentioned, um, and so when you have Luke Doty, I mean, you're not you're, you're really when you do that. Noah taking away what you do best. And there, there's, you know, this is not an explosive offense right now. And so I think you're taking away what you do best, which is, you know, calling plays, setting up the run game, the screens and, and all that, getting it to Harris and Fenwick and Shai Smith and the tight ends. Um, and, and, you know, if you take that away just because, oh, your quarterback can run the ball, well, what happens when, you know, you go out for a game Let's let's just let's just hypothetical. Let's say they do that against Ole Miss. And Ole Miss can't play defense that well. They're really not that good. Um, and Luke Doty runs for 180 yards and and throws for another 200. And Harris has a big. You know, you're going out and doing that, and you simplified for him uh, and all that. Well, then the tape gets out, and then Missouri's defensive staff goes, "Aha! Okay, here's what they're doing." And, and and all of a sudden, all those nifty plays that Bobo's been dialing up and the confusion that all the formations have caused and the leveraging of the formation to get the run game going and all that stuff goes out the window. And you're basically just stopping the quarterback run and manning up on everything else. Well, then that's not going to go so well. So that's uh, that's what you have to keep in mind with any sort of change like that. Now, if they get to two and five and the season's essentially over – yeah, put him out there, see what he can do. You know, I, I, I that that's my thing with all this is like some people are acting like the season is completely over, and that we're all at DefCon one, and that you got to do something, you, know, you got to do something uh, to make things better, and and that's just not the case. That's just not the case. And we're we're sitting at the middle point of the season. Gamecocks are two and three, coming off a terrible loss. Uh, but then there's chances to get wins and, and get back in it now. And until those games happen, until those things happen, uh, you know, you, you got to kind of chill out a little bit. And, and, and you know, Colin Hill, obviously, uh, I've mentioned it before, those internal clock issues have to get better or, or go back to how they were against Tennessee and, and, and Florida and, and for the most part, Vandy. So that's what has to happen there. Guys, thanks, especially – some of my frequent emailers like Noah, I really, really appreciate you guys uh, getting in on the mailbag. Again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Also, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Pods. Rate me five stars. Give a little uh, review. We're trying to get to 1,000 by the end of the year. Uh, you can also get this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, Stitcher's a good podcasting app, by the way. 
Uh, it's got most of the, the podcast on it. And so check it out. All right, I'll be back tomorrow with Wonderful Wednesday. Uh, also, don't forget, tomorrow I'll be on JB and Goldwater for an hour. Should have a JC and Morgan pod this week, too. So lots of stuff to look forward to as we continue to roll toward Saturday night's game. Saturday night's a big night. Gamecocks and AM. You got uh, uh, Clemson and Notre Dame playing. Um, shoot, shoot. You got uh, Georgia and Florida playing earlier in the day. And uh, those guys don't, uh, don't forget Utah. Jake Bentley uh, and his team, they play Arizona, I think, at four o'clock Eastern as the Pac 12 gets rolling finally this year. So big day for football Saturday. We'll talk all about it. Thanks for joining me. This is JC Sherbert. We'll holla at you later.